session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Dalakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Studio number 310-441-0555. On Monday night's show, I was joined by actor Tara Grammy, and we were talking about uh, the situation in Iran and just uh, how it feels for those of us outside of Iran trying to deal with what's going on and how we can do our best to help. So a big thank you to her for joining me on Monday night's show, and because of that, we'll do the Books of the Week today. So the Book of the Week for this week that I'll talk about on next Monday or Wednesday show is How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell, How to Do Nothing Resisting the Attention Economy. So it's, of course, drawn by the the title and that topic, the attention economy and how so much of our lives can be spent um, giving our attention to things that actually really don't do much for us but are part of this larger attention economy. So looking forward to reading that and sharing it with you on next week's show. The book of the week from last week that I will talk about today is It Didn't Start With You by Mark Wolin. It Didn't Start With You, How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who We Are and How to End the Cycle. And I'd seen this book and and heard some things about it and then my um, aunt's husband, Behruz, had recommended it to me specifically. And so I said, okay, that's that's enough a reason for me not to actually get the book. And I had it for a couple of weeks and then wanted to read it. Um, and especially with what's been happening with Iran, I felt that there was some relevance, this concept of inherited family trauma uh, definitely is related to what people are experiencing. Now, of course, things are still ongoing and people are experiencing that trauma, but we also can see that people in the previous generations have experienced things that they are likely passing on to their children in unconscious ways, even in genetic or epigenetic ways, which I'll touch on based on things he discusses in this book. So it also seemed relevant in that way as well, as, uh, you know, for multiple factors I wanted to, to read this book. And so I'm glad I did. It was quite fascinating. I did find myself, as I'll explain, um, trying to see how much I could understand the concept or by understand, I don't want to say agree, but looking at how traumas are passed down and the ways he describes it, sometimes it seems almost unbelievable and quite fascinating. And so unbelievable can mean that, wow, that's really cool. Or is it something I can believe? And at times I've found myself trying to think about how this makes sense to me. So I'll get into that. But um, the concepts he brings up are quite interesting and I think worth looking at, especially for me as a psychologist, but just personally, I'll even share some of the things I reflected on while reading the book about myself because he does have these uh, brief exercises where you can try to understand your own potential inherited family trauma or things that you either experienced in your life or in previous generations that might be affecting you. So to begin with this concept of inherited family trauma, um, I've read about research on 
the, the children, even grandchildren of Holocaust survivors or people who experienced the Holocaust and how they at times might carry some of that burden still, even though they, of course, didn't physically experience it themselves, but might have some of that. Joy DeGruy wrote a wonderful book, got to have her on my show, I think, two years ago or last year, um, Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome, looking at how uh, slavery, although black Americans now are not experiencing that uh, specific thing of slavery or that, that concept of slavery, but they might still carry some of that even in their, their DNA and who they are. And so, of course, in America, we still see that the remnants of slavery still exist, so people are still experiencing that aspect of it, but not experiencing slavery. However, she was arguing and pointing to how it could be leaving that impact. And so in a similar vein, this book was looking at this inherited family trauma concept that even if it wasn't something you went through yourself, it could be affecting you. And so he does share some research looking at things like epigenetics, which is something I'm still learning about, but a quite fascinating field where the ways we used to think, and at least I definitely used to think about DNA, was it's this blueprint. So your parents, you get 50% from your mother, 50% from your father, and it's this blueprint that then determines everything about you, and your DNA is all about what it creates in you. But then when we look at DNA, I think it's something like only 2% of it are for specific things that code for, for example, eye color or hair color or things like that. A lot more of it, it's not clear or wasn't clear as much what it was for. But then we do see that what happens is a lot of our genes can be turned on or turned off. And so there's these concepts or this whole field of epigenetics looking at not just what your DNA is as far as what are all the the genes or all the different, um, uh, you know, how it codes for different things, but looking at what is leading to how things get expressed, because not just everything you have in your genes gets expressed or not everything you have in your DNA gets expressed. And so that's one potential avenue where things like inherited family trauma can be uh, implemented or how it can ha take effect is that things can happen to our DNA. It's not just this pure blueprint. There's a lot more to it than that. Uh, he shares even this concept that a mother, let's say when, if you're a female, when your grandmother was pregnant with your mom, um, at five months of pregnancy, your mother in utero had the precursor cells to the ovaries or the, the egg that became you. So in a way, he says three generations are all in one environment at the same time during that time period. So we can see again that what's happening to your grandmother could be impacting your mother in a variety of ways, of course, and even her genetic development or these epigenetic types of factors, and then that would affect you. So that's some of the concept. And so it's not just this, um, again, for me, I'm still grappling with understanding it more deeply and making it make sense for me. But there can be these ways that we inherit things. It's not just some uh, metaphysical type of a thing. There's, there are scientific explanations for it and behind it of how things can impact our genes and then continue to affect us. And so things that we never experienced might be impacting us. And so he shares many stories of clients of his or people that have 
had these experiences where they kept having some kind of feeling or experience or some things that they were dealing with, and they couldn't quite understand why, or they weren't even thinking really of the why. It just seemed like a fact of life for them. But then after uncovering their family history and sometimes even going back a few generations, they learned of things that might be impacting them or might be related to them. And that was where, for me, sometimes the the lines between what they went through or what their family went through and what they were now going through seemed so direct, which can be the truth that it's just that specific and makes sense, or it just seemed hard to fathom sometimes that it would be so clear. For example, um, something like someone freezing to death outside and then now the person having this, you know, it was their grandfather or their grandfather's brother and now this individual now having this sensation around the same age as that person when they died of freezing or something like that is going to happen to them. Or someone who was feeling like a suicidal tendency or feeling of, I'm going to be incinerated or I'm going to do that to myself, and then later learned that uh, two generations back, I think their grandparents were, um, or family members of their grandparents were, Uh, incinerated in gas chambers during the Holocaust. And so it's compelling and quite fascinating. And sometimes it's just almost hard for me to believe it would be so direct like that, but that, that could really be the case. I do think our unconscious is much more vast than we can ever understand. And so we could be carrying things that we don't know, or maybe I should say it another way. We definitely are carrying things that we don't know or understand. And that's why, um, trying to understand ourselves, reflecting on ourselves is a lifelong process because there's so much depth that we can never even scratch the surface, but we can try to understand more and more to try to understand ourselves better, which can at least give us some more insights. But I think it is so complex and vast that we never can fully understand it. But nonetheless, it was, it was these lines were sometimes so direct that it seemed almost too good to be true at times. That was my personal experience when I was reading some of these stories, um, was that, wow, is it really that straight ahead and direct? I do think we carry much more than we realize, and often families are very, you know, almost notorious for not sharing dark things. We tend to think if something bad happened, let's not talk about it. It's better not to talk about it. Well, even we have a hard time handling it, and let's not burden our children or future generations about that. And sometimes that can make sense, but oftentimes we do hide from our um, our children what has happened. And because we don't talk about it, we can't face it even ourselves. So I've heard many stories of people saying a family member died and then it was never talked about. And people don't even realize like, oh, you actually had an older sister that was born before you and even, you know, you were together for a year or two before she died and now they find out years later um, when they're an adult. Uh, And so those things, I think, definitely have an impact that we sometimes undermine. We think, well, if we don't talk about it, how can it have an impact? But of course, the family goes through something. Um, Also, it affects the parents and how they even bond with the kids. Going through the loss is going to, first of all, affect them during that time and after. But then it can affect how they deal with their children going forward or how they connect with them. I've seen many stories, uh, even personally, but also through talking to other therapists, other psychologists, supervisors over the years, stories like where uh, a mother will lose a child and then subsequently have a child. And we see a huge uh, 
uh, effect on how that mother bonds with the second child, even um, or if they themselves lost someone. So, for example, I've heard stories of, let's say, when a woman was young, her brother died, a young brother, and then now she becomes the father to a boy and finds it that it's very hard for her to connect to her son as a baby and she can feel like something's wrong with me how can i not connect to my son this is like a maternal instinct why don't i love him why am i not attached to him but then what we recognize is if we look at what they went through we can understand that there's a fear to connect to this little boy because they have this experience of their a little boy being lost being uh dying from uh, whatever the cause was at a young age and so as a protection it can feel too scary to attach to this new little boy because there's this fear that he too will be lost so we can see that the mother has no reason to be upset with herself or blame herself for her inability to form this strong attachment with her new child um, but it could be explained by some past trauma that she experienced herself and so in this book, it's going a little bit further and saying that even the ones from previous generations might impact us in ways that we're unaware of. And although I've said I'm at times had a hard time um, to, to make sense of it and to see if it did make sense for me, I do think there's definitely something to it. It was just sometimes the, the, how straight ahead it was that, okay, something happened at 19 to your grandfather and now you're 19 and you go through the same thing. It Maybe, but it just seemed like so straightforward or direct. I even think the impact might be more complex than that or might not be as direct. But that might be the way to explain some of these, these concepts that he brought up in the book. But to me, again, that part of it was hard to comprehend. So it's not that I don't think it's there. I just think it's uh, it was hard for me to make sense of it. I'm still thinking about that. So what I wanted to continue talking about the book because I really did enjoy it and I'm, I'm getting close to a commercial break because he gets into um, some ways that he's learned how to work with people to deal with first to access these past traumas or what might be going on there or what what might have happened and then how to work through that because of course we don't want to just know what happened we want to see what we can do to help ourselves to to work on that so there's some exercises he has to get in touch with that and then some things we can do to then further work on those issues to try to um, end the cycle as the subtitle of the book says how inherited family tra trauma shapes who we are and how to end the cycle so how can we possibly not continue to carry those burdens of those past traumas in our families uh, for our lives and the future generations. So let's go to a commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Continuing the discussion on the book, It Didn't Start With You by Mark Wolin, How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who We Are and How to End the Cycle. And so as I was talking about in the first segment, he describes or discusses how things that have happened in our previous generations, especially traumas, because they you know, don't get dealt with, usually what happens when you have a trauma is that we can't quite deal with it. It's so overwhelming, and that way it can kind of feel like it stays stuck in some ways. And so that stuck part can get passed down generation to generation until it gets dealt with, which is what he is trying to advocate in this book, is at first to, to have this awareness and this understanding and then let's see what we can do to work through it. Because essentially, um, he's talking about how we're carrying these stories or living out these stories that aren't our own. Even things like, for example, uh, a great a grandfather who cheated people out of money, and maybe now the grandson, although doesn't even know about what happened, 
is living a life where they feel like they don't deserve or they're trying to make amends for it. So they don't make money or they're bad with money or they're giving away money. It's almost like they're trying to make things right unconsciously. Things like that are are what he's talking about. And so he has this, um, what he calls the uh, core language map. So trying to understand your trauma and, and has like four types of steps. And the first one is the core complaint. So just if you ask yourself or you look at what are the things you tend to complain about in a deeper way. So not just like, oh, you know, uh, bills or my partner says something sometimes or this happens with the deeper ones, like the things that you're more concerned about or worried about, like being alone or that you're going to get rejected, kind of deeper things like in that nature. Then there's core descriptors, which is looking at your parents. How do you describe them? And he talks about how from our parents, we, in a way, literally, we get this like life force or energy. They give us life. But then what often happens is uh, through the course of our lives, we get disconnected from them. He talks about sometimes we'll reject them or we reject their love or we make them all bad. And in different ways, we cut ourselves off from that life energy that we can be getting. So what are the words that we use to describe our parents? And as we we see in other books or other people talk about this often, we might find that our partners that we now are with, we might describe them the same way. So he shares some stories where someone will talk about their mother and say, oh, cold, distant, always, you know, disappointed. And then they talk about their husband or their wife and they'll use those same words, even if they don't realize it. And as a therapist, it's cliche, but I've seen it so many times that it's it's almost shocking, but almost not shocking. It's just you'll see those same things come up. And of course, it could be multiple factors. One is that we seek people who are similar to our parents in these ways. Uh, in the book, Getting the Love You Want by Harville Hendricks, he talks about this in great detail. So there could be multiple reasons why we do it. They're, they're familiar, so we're drawn to it. Also, we're trying to resolve something from our past. And so this person being the same would, would help us do that. So there could be these reasons we choose someone that way. But of course, we also could, one, create relationships that are that way. So if you feel like you're going to get rejected, you might project that onto your partner where it might happen. Um, or you might see them in that way. So you might have a partner who's not uh, distant, but you see them as distant because you're projecting your own past onto them. So we see this happening all the time. Uh, as we say, you know, how people see you can say a lot more about them than it does about you. And we have to always be aware of that too, to try to not take things personally. But so similarly, we have to be aware of that. The way we see people, it might not just be about them and how they are and who they are, but about ourselves and our history and what we've gone through. And so using these things, he, he, comes up with or he wants us to come with like a core sentence this one sentence that uh kind of demonstrates what is it that is at the core of our uh, worry or our concern like my absolute worst fear is and then you fill in the blank and so things like they reject me they leave me they humiliate me i'll go crazy i'll lock I'll kill myself if I'll hurt someone. Those are the kinds of things that people might come up with. And then now after that, he encourages you to then look for your core trauma, which isn't necessarily something that happened in your life. It can be, and he does talk about that as well. But looking at the core trauma, sometimes what is leading to this core complaint, this core sentence is that, that the base of everything you're dealing with or one of the bases of everything you're dealing with is something that happened in your past. And so trying to uncover that sometimes it might involve talking to family members, asking them something. And, and so he says, using 
what your core complaint is, what these issues are, it could be like a map that leads you back to that core trauma. So let's say if you have this fear of being abandoned, you can talk to your parents, say, was, was, the, was there anything like this in our family, anything you know, from our grandparents that they went through, something similar to that, anything that you can find related to that. So that can help us get in touch with, with uh, what is at the core of what we're dealing with. And part of this core language map that he talks about. And then as he's talking about how to work through these types of things, um, he does have different exercises. Sometimes it's, you know, through imagery. Sometimes even he uh, encourages the person to, to talk to that person. So let's say it's the grandfather who, I, I use an example, like cheated people out of money or something like that. And then now they can have a conversation where they're telling them, I know um, you did this, but I don't have to carry this burden anymore. This is your burden. And sometimes they might imagine the grandfather saying something back to them that might be helpful or healing for them. But essentially, it's letting go of a realizing this is not your pain to have to carry or your burden to have to carry that then might be helpful. And so people do different things like that, or they might have a picture of even that family member that they keep above their you know, their bed or on their desk or something to remind them of that person. In a way, realizing that what you are feeling, what you're going through is not yours. It could belong to someone else. It might be something you've inherited that you're carrying forward. And going back to relationships, in general, they can be so, of course, wonderful, and I'm talking about romantic relationships, but they bring up our most intense feelings. And and I've experienced it myself, but I've seen so many clients that they'll talk about themselves and their lives and they feel fairly put together. And then they get into a romantic relationship and they're like, I didn't know I was this messed up or this bad or had these things going on in my life or would never expected myself to be this way. We can kind of surprise ourselves with what might feel like irrational or childish, you know, types of things. And they are that they're childish in the sense that they're coming from our own childhood or childhood feelings and needs and could come off very irrational because we're surprised by the reactions. But our romantic relationships do trigger and bring up our deepest stuff, whatever that is, the unconscious and emotional stuff and the burden and wounds that we carry. Now, uh, you know, based on this book, we could say, are those burdens even from previous generations? But they even, of course, can come from our own lived experience as well. And so because of that, our relationships can be a great roadmap if we follow that. Uh, as we often see, following the wound or tracing the wound can be very insightful in helping us understand ourselves better. So if you recognize you have certain fears or anxieties that uh, surprise you and how intense they are, and even sometimes you might even realize after some time, maybe during the, the argument with your partner, it feels like it's just about what they did, but after some time you realize there's something deeper there, it can be important to dig into that. Okay, why am I so much feeling this way? And as I mentioned, I, when I read the book, I, I did the exercises myself to explore that. And I won't go into all of the details, but some things did come up because uh, he does talk about past generations and the traumas they went through. But of course, looking at your own life and some things that ha might happen and things like interruptions in the relationship. He talks a lot about the mother with, with the child, um, but it could be of parents or caretakers in general. And so something for me, I realized when I was three years old, I was hospitalized for, uh, you know, I don't know. And I actually wanted to ask more for my family about the details, but from what I recall hearing, it was like 13 days in the ICU for 
what appeared to be an asthma attack. And it's actually funny. As I'm talking, I'm touching my neck where I, I had a tracheotomy and they had to open my neck to allow me to breathe. So it was quite, uh, I'm sure, traumatic also for my family. But for me as a child, although I don't have much conscious memory of it, of exactly what happened or seeing things. And with these types of incidents, I've heard so many stories from my family over the years. And when I hear those stories, I create images in my head. And so sometimes when I think about uh, what happened to me then, those images might pop up. So it's hard for me to know, is this my memory that's there? Or is this the uh, memories that were created or the images that were created when they shared the stories with me? So nonetheless, I don't have a lot of conscious memory of what was going on back then but I did consider that probably had a big impact on me it must have been quite scary as a young child there was the physical pain discomfort not being able to breathe of course that can be very impactful and create lots of feelings of anxiety and things of that sort um, being separated uh, you know I don't know exactly all the details but of course even if I was my parents could be in the room or could be around there's still a sense of separation they usually can't be there all the time so there was probably those feelings so i recognize that that likely left a very big impact on me that i don't think about much i think i shared recently how when i would go get a haircut and sometimes if you're at a barber and they want to trim your beard or shave your beard i recognize that i would have this strong anxiety and a tightness in my chest that would overcome me and I thought it was maybe just the positioning of the chair and then it hit me one day that this was likely related to what I went through as a child where they opened my neck with the you know whatever uh, surgical tools they use but it could feel like a knife and so possibly this was triggering that same feeling when I was being put uh, to la lean back and someone was coming with a sharp instrument to my neck maybe it was it was triggering that anxiety from that trauma when I was a child. And now when I've had that happen since that recognition, I wouldn't say the anxiety is gone completely. It was never that bad. I never had panic attacks or it got very intense. But there was some feeling of anxiety that was hard for me to understand. But once I understood it, it made it a little more tolerable or even more tolerable than before and did make it less that I knew, okay, this is, you know, I might feel that way or might come to me a bit. I think I was also able to recognize this by being more connected to myself and my body. I maybe wouldn't even know it before, but I, I over the years, have tried to be more conscious of myself and my my experience uh, from a physical standpoint to to understand those things. And so I was I became aware of that. And so I wouldn't say it just melted my anxiety away, but it became a bit easier Hello. to deal with that. So that was interesting for me reading this book. I did try to go a little bit deeper into myself, imagining myself as a child, something I encourage with my clients when they are trying to do inner child work or get more in touch with their childhood experience is to have them look at pictures of themselves selves when they were children. So um, I did that too, looked at myself when I was a baby child to connect to um, that a little bit more. And so that was interesting and helpful for me. So I, I think that part of the book, I also recommend if you um, find the book interesting, and I think it was quite interesting, you can also do the exercises in the book to help understand yourself better, uncover what are these past traumas, either in my own life, or could there be things I carry from previous generations that my parents and grandparents have gone through? Um, I think it's a reminder that our family histories are so complex 
and we only know so little. I was talking before about how little we know about our unconscious, and this is part of what we carry into our unconscious is what our family has gone through, and so we recognize how little we, we actually know. And as I mentioned when I started talking about the book, considering everything that is going on in Iran and seeing how people have been affected for multiple generations, I'm sure what people have gone through is affecting the children they've had and the children they will, will continue to have, this burden of, of everything that they have experienced and the persecution and even the death of loved ones or the jailing of loved ones or having to escape. He actually mentioned that in the book, and that's something I thought about. Both of my parents had to leave Iran and couldn't go back. And so um, those types of effects that people have had that we might not think about. When we think about our lives, we tend to think, well, this is just what happened without really understanding how what happened might be impacting us. And I see this also as a therapist when I talk to to individuals, talk to families about what they've been through, you know, there's this understanding what we went through is what we went through. So this happened, yeah, and now we're here. And it's like, oh, that this part could have been challenging or this happened. And often we don't have time to pause and reflect. We have to just go through what we have to go through to survive and, and get through it. But then often afterwards we have time to reflect on what happened and we might choose to do that or not. And if we do, we might get in touch with some things that might be there that might be impacting us more than we realize. So in that sense, I really enjoyed the book, and it really did make me think more even about myself, as I said, about people in my life, even from a professional standpoint of considering some of these things more deeply. And as I mentioned, he shares some of the science looking at how these things might take place through epigenetics and different factors that can impact how we become who we are, what genes get turned on and off, um, how that trauma might be carried into future generations. And so... It, you know, it was quite fascinating, as I said, things in this book I'll continue to, to think about and, and to look into to see how I can make sense of it for myself. But I think it's a book that's worth reading um, just to, you know, understand yourself better, maybe think about your own family experience a bit more and might learn about why you might be going through some of the things and having some of the challenges that you experience. So again, that was It Didn't Start With You by Mark Wolin. Let's go to a commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Good afternoon, doctor. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for taking my call. My pleasure. Uh, this call is off. Uh, for my daughter, she is 17 years old, um, a normal young adult, 17 year old, you know, with having lots of friends and late at night she sleeps because, you know, she's talking to friends and um, just uh, being uh, herself. Mm -hmm. She works and also goes to college. Now, um, she skipped high school to go straight to college for the uh, they call them a skip, you know, it's just uh, uh, in our state, they can do that. So she and left She left high school and went straight to college at what age or after what grade? Uh, um, so the 11th and 12th grade, mm -hmm. uh, we have a program in, um, in our state that uh, kids can uh, go straight to a college okay. and take college classes. Sure. 
And so, so yeah, and you know, sometimes kids, even while they're in high school, they'll take them. But it seems like what you're describing, they, she no longer went to high school and only went to college starting for 11th grade. Correct, yeah, okay, 11 and 12. And now I'll say this quickly. I also did that myself. Um, it, was, it was a long time ago. It was actually when this process in California first was becoming more uh, clear. So I, I, ha I had my own experience of that. Um, but let's get back to your daughter and what's going on. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, uh, yeah, in the beginning, she was really hesitant and talking about that she's missing out of high school sure. life and, and she's going straight to, you know, the adult life. And uh, the reason that I'm calling is she has found a job for herself. Um, she did go to the interview and got accepted and everything. Now, going to the college and going to work, uh, it's getting her a little bit challenged as far as the time management. Uh, today was the first day that she missed opening of that business, uh, so she was, you know, not very happy, crying, and I took her to work myself. Now, the thing that between my wife and I, um, uh, we don't see eye to eye, uh, I told my wife, well, I work from home, I could easily wake her up if she didn't wake up, and I, all I need is a schedule. My wife, uh, she sees it differently, she's she thinks that, um, you know, it's the, uh, my daughter should learn by herself, and it's sort of a life lesson. I'm really, I, I listen to both you and mm -hmm. your dad a lot, and I'm looking for your guidance. Who is right, and what should, how <laughs> should we approach this? Well, I'll tell you what, that, that part, the way you asked that part, I, you probably heard me giggle, like, who's right? Uh, I usually try not to approach it that way, because... Perfect. It, you know, these things be more complicated. And most important is that you and your wife approach your your daughter with some kind of unity or togetherness, rather than of course, of you course, know. Of course. But I understand. No, no, so, no, no. Yeah. but so, explain what's your, tell me what your you know, and what does your daughter say about what's going on? What's her take on this? Uh, she loves her work. She loves the college. She loves her friends, and she's just you know a very normal um, kid who. Can't say no to everybody. Last night she was helping so many people, uh, from uh, actually from the um, the high school that she left, mm -hmm. and she was helping them on their assignments and everything. So she can't say no to everybody. Um, very kind person. But uh, I told her this morning that if you like, I'm I'm home. I could easily come to you and make sure you're up by a certain hour. And yet, um, I mean, I'm, I'm okay if, if um, not to, to do that. I'm, I'm not, um, you know, I'm, I can go both ways. Mm -hmm. I can just stay in my room and just work. But honestly, I don't know what's the right way to handle um, a 17-year-old first work, first job mm -hmm. experience. Yeah, so I just want to make sure I get what, what's happened so far. When did she start the job? She started the job like I want to say uh, a month ago. Okay. But but her college just started, so that's why mm -hmm. now he, the time management now is a little bit different than you know a month ago. Sure. So yeah, she's trying to. I mean, that's tough figuring out how to do this and how to balance things, how to to make sure she meets all her responsibilities, and even trying to figure out what responsibilities she wants to have. Um, what what I usually think with these types of situations is it's not like either we help or we don't, 
or either we fix it or we don't, but it's more that we approach it like asking them, how can I, how can I support you in this? And making sure, of course, we don't take on too much of it. So if we ask someone, how can I support you? And they say, do all my homework, we're not going to do that. But it's like, how can I support you? Would you like me? Let's say, even that could be thinking of how is she figuring it out. She would say, you know what, Daddy, I, I would like you to wake me up at this time. How does that sound or something? So she still comes up with the plan. But we do make sure we don't overstep where we're not taking on too much of the responsibility. Because, of course, that, that would be... Um, problematic but it's pretty new so we don't want to, we don't need to jump to a conclusion yet um, but she wants to keep all the things she's doing she wants to have work and have school correct that's correct yeah okay so she wants to keep them we want to I think it's good to see if we can make that balance work so now what is your wife saying you should be doing what's her take on the actions or maybe not taking actions that you should take it's exactly what you just said. <laughs> okay. Is so tell me make sure I want to make sure I'm hearing it from you. So what does she say you should do? Uh, we should ask. Um, if she needs us to I mean uh, just go ahead and and see what responsibility do you want to keep everything? Uh, is, mm -hmm. is helping everybody is the right thing or but my wife uh, she is really uh, <laughs> have a better straight head than me. Um I'm more like a like a program manager who's, who's who always wants to find a solution. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so some of that, you know, when we're finding a solution, sometimes we do it all in advance. You know, maybe in your work, especially to figure out the solution and go forward. Sometimes finding a solution means we come up with a plan that we think might work, and we have to try it out. And then see how it goes and, you know, uh, pardon my lack of knowledge, but troubleshoot or do the changes we have to do after the fact. And so I feel like in, in this sense, it would be good to give your daughter the chance to experience things and go forward and then figure it out and see what's working and not working. I don't think anything catastrophic can happen, you know, if she doesn't have that, you know, time. I do get the sense from you, you're worried about her trying to help too many people or like helping her friends too much. I believe so. I okay. mean, um, I mean, she, since she's missing high school, uh, her friends in high school that they have stayed in the high school. Mm -hmm. So um, she's trying to hold up. I mean, hold on both of them. I think the yeah. college, uh, the school. And well, that, and that's, you know, and I know I mentioned that I did this myself. Now, of course, this is, what, 20-something years ago. But still, even the fact that I did it doesn't mean I necessarily endorse it as the right path, and especially not for everyone. There were some circumstances that, for me, made it make even more sense based on what was happening for me in high school and, and, and a variety of things. But this is the challenge is that when you go away and you lose that high school experience, you might still want that high school experience socially, especially. So academically, she's at college, but she might want still have that high school social experience or be close to those friends. And also, uh, it can be tough as a 16-year-old, now 17-year-old in college, of course, you might feel a little bit different from um, your, your classmates because they're a little bit older than you, so you could have a harder time socially. What led to her making the decision to go to college? What was the driving force for that? Multiple things. One was uh, COVID was here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Everybody were working from home anyways. Um, and 
it was a decision that she made. We we absolutely didn't even uh, we we. I mean, the school came to her. They told her about that, and um, then she had to sit and decide if she wants to do that. None of us actually wanted to say anything because we didn't want later um, we get to to be blamed. Mm-hmm. So we made sure that she makes the right decision. Uh, she did talk about it with us, you know, and like questions. What do you think? And I said, well, it's all your choice. You know, you can do both of them, and both of them will be fantastic. Uh, very high GPA, smart girl, and she can do whatever she likes. You know, so you know, we gave her the opportunity, and she just took it. She she took that. Okay. And she and she did it with her best friend too. So okay, to let you know. So yeah. both her and best friend, both of them moved. Got it. To the same thing. And this is her first year doing it, or she did it last year. She did it also last year. Last so year, okay. Her la- this will be her last year. Right, and and then hopefully, I'm guessing she'll plan to try to transfer to a university for next yes. year. Yes. Okay. And exactly. so, yes. what was her experience like for the first year of doing this? Uh, it, it was a little bit uh, tough mm-hmm. uh, because of the. Um, I mean, as far as. But but COVID was here, so it was tough working from home and balancing her work, homeworks and everything. Yeah. But she really liked the less classes than high school, and she liked sure. the way that they treated her like an adult. She she enjoyed that more. Um, it's like how do you say? It's like a love hate relationship type thing. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, being in class less and things could be good, but also you're saying it was right. still, I, yeah, I don't know, maybe the beginning of the year especially might have been more affected by COVID, I think later, probably less, right, but right. so it was a little bit unique. Okay. So she's done this, so we know she can do it. Yeah. It does make me feel more like we want to give her the space to figure out um, what's happening. What's, let's look at, for you, what's your concern? What are you worried is going to happen? For me, uh, nothing. For me, I I think uh, the only reason I'm calling you is just I wanted to make sure that when my wife comes back from work, um, (laughs) (laughs) I I know how to talk to my wife. (laughs) Well, well, here's the thing. I'm not going to be able to teach you that. (laughs) Yeah, I can't teach you that in a few minutes. Either you kind of know how to talk to your wife or you don't. But I know what you mean. You want to know how to approach this conversation. But um, so, yeah, what are you expecting she's going to say? And, you know, let's talk about what... Maybe since if that's the the main concern, and I'm glad to hear that you're not so worried because I don't think there's no like catastrophe, you know, that's no, about no. to happen. Um, but right. but going back before the conversation with your wife, but what are you worried about for your daughter before you even think about the conversation from your perspective of what's going on? What is it that you're concerned about for her with with what's going on? Time management, lack of sleep. That's the only thing that is I think is the highest thing that is hitting her right now. Okay. Um. In, in sleeping late uh, due to homework or due to helping other people's homework. So it's like yeah. somehow that that is... So I, I, today in the car, all I said is um, choose which friends you want to help in in the high school. Don't, don't do it for everybody. Don't become like a help desk type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at least this way you can sleep on time. And she agreed with me on that. So. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, look, you know, we got, as is 
what I was saying before, I would, of course, you want to give her advice, you want to help her out, but we want to ask her, because I want to understand, yeah, what is it for her? Is she one of those people who has a hard time saying no and wants to help everybody? Is it she wants to still feel connected to high school in some way, so maybe when she's doing the high school work with them, she feels like part of it still in some way? But try to understand it even more rather than just say, do this or don't do this because she's gonna have to figure it out and once we understand even why she's doing it we might be able to even help her more is it a people pleaser side is it she misses high school is it you know whatever else it might be and plus it's fairly new as far as what you're saying she you know the school and work is a newer thing for her and so she does have to figure out her balance and we might have to figure out her balance the analogy that comes to my head is like if you saw her walking on a tightrope and you saw she was falling, now you might say, okay, get your balance, but you're going to have to let her figure out the balance. Like you can't say your leg needs to be here and this one has to be there because she has to feel in her body what feels right. So we probably do have to give her the space to find that balance. Now we might talk to her, explore if she wants what's going on and, and give us give her some input or insight here and there. But really balance is something that only she can feel she's achieved. Just like if we're walking and only we can feel the balance, we might have to recognize she's gonna have to have that space to figure it out because she's the only one that could tell us when the balance is there. Thank you so, so much. That makes hmm. so much sense, hmm. perfect. Yeah, but I, pre- I appreciate you calling. And, and just from your concern and the way you're talking about her, it's clear you, you and your wife want the best for her. So that's always, I think, something important to keep in mind when you open a conversation like this, because when we disagree, it quickly brings up this adversarial kind of feeling like against or who's going to win, who's right or wrong. But we know the most important thing is we're both trying to do, you know, I'm talking about you and her, what's best for our daughter. And so let's talk about that. And none of us has some pure right answer, but let's figure out what's the best. And I do hope, you know, you and her have a conversation, but at the end of the day, your daughter is the biggest component of this whole situation. So we make sure she's a big part of this conversation and determining what happens going forward. Thank you so, so much for giving me the time and and, uh, directing us. Oh, my pleasure. So So nice talking to you. Wish the best for you and your family. Have a great day. Bye-bye now. Take care. All right, let's go to another commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hambra, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hi. Hi. Hi, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, So my husband and I are on the call right now. We want to discuss uh, about our options, uh, about our daughter. We have a 13-year-old daughter um, and a 30-year-old daughter. Um, So this I heard that correctly, 13 and 30? Yes. Okay. Okay. So the older one has moved out. Um, we we are living together with our younger one. Um, she we saw, we noticed signs of anxiety in her since she was uh, six years old. I called and discussed it with you, and you said she could benefit from therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, we immediately took her to therapist and. She has been talking to um, several different therapists uh, for most part ever since. Okay. Um, there has been gaps, but there has been, um, for most part, she's been talking to therapists. 
so last year she started um, I noticed that she is reading a lot of books and articles about um, autism and stuff like that and then um, right after she she asked me to um, to do something about the loud noise and it, it gives her anxiety in school and this and that and the light bothers her so um, I talked to her therapist and the therapist suggested that I get her occupational therapy mm-hmm. so I uh, took her for evaluation and the lady uh, felt bad for me and she said oh you don't have insurance it's very expensive why don't you ask the school district we live in Texas and uh, apparently school district provides occupational therapy okay so I approached a school district and they said we first evaluate her and if she's eligible sure we'll provide it and can I uh, let me I ask you what was the focus of the occupational therapy supposed to be? Like, what was the goal, intention of that? So, the, her therapist said that she she feels that she's in a very loud concert all the time mm-hmm. in school. And that's why she feels anxious. Okay. And then, so what so, would be the, the occupational therapist would work on what then? Uh, she, the occupational therapist will, uh, this is what the therapist told me, that they'll give her tools and um, teach her how to deal with that or okay. something that sure. sort. Got it. So, um, she, she was evaluated in school by several different people and they reported back to us that she has mild high functioning autism and uh, there was a little bit of um, controversy like one teacher said this one teacher said that and I am of course I'm not a therapist and I don't want to claim but I felt like she is manipulating all of us because she reads stuff. Um, so then um, they said she does not, she's not eligible for occupational therapy, but will accommodate her by letting her wear uh, something to block the noise and, you know, we let her wear um, tinted glasses in the building and all of that. So then uh, she started saying that I have body pain and I have fibromyalgia and you need to take me to doctor. So I took her to doctor and they did all the testing and they said there is nothing wrong with her. It's mostly psychological. Okay. Now, let me stop you there for a second. Um, When you said like you're wondering if she's manipulating you. Uh, or all of you, what when you think of that, what would you think is her intention when you say manipulate usually means we're trying to get something or get our way in some way? What what comes to your mind is why your daughter would be manipulating? She doesn't want to go to school. She okay. she always says school is a waste of time. She wants to be homeschooled. Okay. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, some different things come to my mind. One is like a sensory motor sensitivity. Another is 
like a health OCD. So it, it you know, you're you're thinking is she manipulating, but could there be like this feeling of something is wrong with me, kind of related to hypochondriasis, the sense of something is wrong and I have to figure it out and obsessed with different health things. So do I have this diagnosis or that diagnosis, fibromyalgia, uh, autism, maybe she even does have some form of it. But I don't know if rather than just thinking of it as manipulative, could there be really she's just genuinely worried about things or doesn't feel good and is trying to figure it out and get some answers, but doesn't seem to find a satisfactory answer? Um, I don't think so, because um, her report, for example, when I took her to doctor, Mm -hmm. her report was not accurate at all. And then um, her therapist said that she believes those stuff. She believes in them, and that's why these happen. Like the pain that she she said she has in her body Mm -hmm. is because she believes it so strongly that it becomes like, a physical issue yeah okay so, but that wouldn't necessarily mean that it's manipulative it could be like a worry you know for example people have this worry oh what if my there's something wrong with my nerves and then all of a sudden they get so hyper vigilant or focused on their nerves they feel a little tingle they feel an itch and they think something is there so in a way we can say yes they're creating the problem there's nothing really there but it doesn't mean it's intentional it could be coming from the, the anxiety that's there. So I, I don't know, of, of course, enough to say what it is, but I just want to introduce that possibility or that could be at the core of a lot of what's going on is this this anxiety that's there that then, yes, there's no physical thing wrong with her when we go to check for fibromyalgia or something like that, but there doesn't mean she's not experiencing something or that she's pretending just to get out of school, which could be there too, and we can look at that. But just that's what comes to my mind when you're saying anxiety was so present from a young age that there could be a very intense anxiety that she experiences and she's trying to deal with it by figuring out what's going on. And so she's looking for these answers and is not sure. And, and all of them might feel right. Oh, okay, autism sensitive to sounds. Yeah, I don't I don't like sounds, but it could be that there's some level of autism there, or it could be that uh, because she's just more sensitive to things in general, intense, you know, sounds sound louder to her, or she gets startled more easily and things like that. So um, I'm just mentioning in that way because I can understand it's probably been frustrating for you to try to understand what's going on and to help her. And it seems like she's creating the problems, but it might not be that she's creating them intentionally it could be that she's creating them because underneath there is this intense anxiety about what she goes through day to day sure sure and uh, thank you for that sure um, um, I mean nobody ever uh, put it to me that way um, so then uh, she, after the doctor said that it's psychological mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with you um, so then she she told me that she told us that she will study um she will study uh algebra on her own and then she'll uh take the test and if she passes uh she wants to be homeschooled and study on her own instead of going to school and so my husband and I told her that you know Sure, you can you can study on your own, but your social life and interaction is very important also. Mm-hmm. 
and we want you to be with the kids your own age. So she told the day that the school was supposed to open next day, uh, she takes her therapist at 10.30 at night that she's going to commit a suicide. When, when was so this? That, uh, this was in August. Okay, so like, like about two months, maybe a month, half, two months. Okay, so this was the yeah. night before her testing, you're saying? No, after testing. After, okay. She did She did pass the test, um, but because we told her that we think that it's, it's better for her to go to school versus being at home and isolated, uh, she, that night, like the day before, night before the school starts, uh, she takes her therapist and says she's going to commit a suicide. And then the therapist, of course, lets us know that this is what she's saying. Mm-hmm. And she needs to be under a care of a team. So, um, of course, <laughs> we freaked out. Yeah. And uh, we told her that, okay, so we'll, we'll test it out. We'll let you study at home. But we still are concerned about your social life. We want you to be with people, you know. Well, let me ask um, you this. Were you concerned about her suicidal thinking or what she was saying? Of course. Right. I mean, I'm sure you were. Maybe I, I asked it in the wrong way. My, my point was more that um, I would want that to become even more of the focus. Okay, you're suicidal. What's what's going on that's making you suicidal? And that's even more important that where she goes to school or if she goes to school um, is is that. And I can see maybe I don't know if that's what you're also thinking of. Is there some concern that that was something she was manipulating by going to that extreme, or was she actually suicidal? I don't know. Is that something you were thinking of also? Uh, yeah, we were thinking of. All the possibilities. I, yeah. I I cannot tell you how uh, scared we were. Of course, and, yeah. And we didn't know what to do. And so we talked to her doctor, and um, because her therapist said she she might benefit from medication for depression and anxiety, which is what she wanted. Mm-hmm. But because. I was really scared of her getting addicted to medication. I, I was putting it off, and I was not agreeing. Uh, but then, when she she said that, so we decided, okay, let's let's put her on medication. Let's get her all the help we can, and uh, let her stay home. We actually, right now, we we don't even ask her whether she's studying she's not studying when she's sleeping when she's eating mm-hmm. none of that and she doesn't even step out of the house unless she really have to like very rarely because we we are scared and yeah. and I took her to to um, um, to Texana which is a mental health institution and uh, the gentleman who evaluated her asked her if she has ever hurt herself and that's when I heard for the first time that she said yes I have cut my legs before mm-hmm. so um, so the, the gentleman suggested that she needs to be under a care of a psychologist psychiatrist and a care coordinator okay now let me stop when you said before 
um, she doesn't leave the house because we're scared. Or he said it's something like that. What What did you mean by what? What is it that you're scared of about her leaving the house? No, we are not scared of her leaving the house. I'm saying we don't... Like, put a pressure on her. Right. Okay. And this is, you know, obviously a very delicate situation. She's shared that she was suicidal. She's been dealing with a lot of issues for for quite some time. Um, And and it's difficult because we don't want to push her when she's saying she's suicidal, and then we know she has anxiety. But we also have to be careful that if we, let's say she never leaves the home, it might actually just make her anxiety worse over time because now things will feel even scarier to her when she does have to do something, let's say, out of the home. So you're in a tough position because she's sharing that she's fragile, but we also don't want to take away any of the challenges or resistance that might help her stay strong or grow as well. Now, when it came to the being suicidal, what, did she say why she was feeling suicidal? Like what was so unbearable or what she was going through that, that led to that, that feeling? Because she didn't want to go to school. And what about school made her that feel that way? Nothing. Actually, everybody loves her in school. And in school, basically, she is totally different person. She is very smart, very, uh, like, good kid. She never get in trouble. I have no idea hmm. why she is two different people at home versus school and why she doesn't want to go to school yeah i have an idea but i'm not sure because i'm not a specialist i cannot you know uh put a label on it but my feeling and my observation is that because she is so addicted to electronic like tablet i mean um, computer and her phone Mm -hmm. and in school it's it's really, really strict. Um, even what website they can access on their phone or computer, and so she—that's my my observation. But okay, like I said, I don't want to say anything. <laughs> okay. Well, look, we're we're at a commercial break, but I definitely want us to continue because to me. Um, this is obviously the, the most serious thing she said, which is because one of the most serious things we can say is about being suicidal, and that's important. And it seems like either because she hasn't been very open or it hasn't been discussed enough to some degree, it's hard to know exactly what was going on because we'll, we'll talk about it after the break, but we'll reflect more on what's happening, what's going on, and what we can do going forward. But I understand that, you know, there's things that make it difficult to know what to do next. So we're going to ha- go ahead and put you on hold and ta- talk after the break, okay? Okay, thanks. All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back to them now. Uh, caller, are you still there? Yes. Okay. So we were talking about your daughter. Understandably, you're, you're concerned, and she's been dealing with lots of different challenges, and recently it's gotten more intense. And, and as I mentioned before the break, you know, it stuck with me, that word manipulative. It comes up a lot when parents are dealing with their, their kids. And oftentimes there is this fear of even suicide being used in that way or a threat or bringing it up and it can be what i always encourage parents to do this more just general of course it applies to you but in a general sense is to take it seriously in the sense that um because some people think well just ignore it or pretend like it's not there because maybe it's not serious i always think it's better to take it seriously because then it makes it less likely to use it as a threat in the sense that you do something about it so if something usually it's like well 
either give me this or I'll do, you know, I'll be, I'm suicidal. Well, it's okay if you're suicidal, we need to address the suicidality. It's not just we're going to give you the thing and forget about it. Because when someone's really suicidal, unless it's like life-threatening what they're talking about, it's usually not I'm suicidal, but if I have to, you know, like I'm suicidal because of this meeting tomorrow or I'm suicidal because of this thing. It's like deeper than that. So it's not just like, okay, we took away that thing you don't like, so now you're not suicidal anymore. But anyway, coming back to the case with your daughter, um, she was saying she's suicidal if she has to continue going to school in person and she wanted to be homeschooled. That was basically her statement. That's right. And okay. also a couple of things I forgot to tell you. Uh -huh. um, one thing is that uh, about a year ago or so, she started dressing um, more like masculine. Okay. And... Uh, that's one thing um and then another thing is that um since uh, sh since she told us that she's suicidal um she's been on antidepressants lexapro um for a month she took five milligram and then they increase her dose to 10 milligrams okay now one thing I also say i know you mentioned this last segment about this fear of her getting addicted to the medications. Now, there are concerns with medication for any age, and especially with uh, children or teenagers, even more so, that they can have side effects and negative effects and long-term effects that we want to be mindful of and cautious of. When it comes to antidepressants, something like Lexapro, the uh, you know danger of or risk of addiction is virtually zero because it's, it's such a slow-acting type of medication that it's not something that people then keep taking or they take for fun recreationally or anything like that maybe you're also concerned does she get used to it and she needs it that can be something to consider now it's a pro and con of uh, how serious what they're dealing with is but so she's been on Lexapro you also mentioned the this uh, at least either experimenting or dressing differently which could bring up is there any kind of gender identity type of um, considerations or things that she's dealing with as well. I'm getting the sense from how you're describing or just there's a, a lot that you're trying to understand how to, to deal with with what she's going through and how to help her. And I can understand that you're feeling a bit stuck. I think you mentioned your husband is also there with you and he doesn't necessarily have to speak, but just wanted to hear what have you been doing collectively to deal with what's going on. I'm sure it's been affecting you know the two of you in a, in a variety of ways, but how are things going and how are you dealing with her and your relationship with her? So we basically um, are, are as, you know, as gentle and kind and accommodating as we can. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we both are really scared right yeah. now. Uh, we, we are very concerned. Um, so sometimes my husband does things with her um, to to deepen their relationship, like let's paint together or let's, uh, you know, do different things around the house. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I do that. I, in fact, um, took time off and took her to um, on a vacation for two weeks to visit with my family, um, which was a really good um, experience for her because I noticed that she is She's a lot better, um, but she also was very confused. Like 
she would feel better and then uh, she immediately uh, would be like scared that we if we notice that she's better then you know we may not feel bad for her hmm. that's something that her therapist also mentioned yeah. that she wants to hurt herself so you feel bad for her well maybe yeah i mean of course the therapist singer that and that can make sense and we could see that a few ways like okay then that means that what she says she's going through is not that bad or it could also be we can see it another way of i don't know if you can see my pain in general so the ones i can i'm going to exaggerate or, or show to you in a certain way so um this goes back to that that word manipulative because like oh you're just making it up but then if we go deeper we say okay even if this part's exaggerated let's say you know you know sometimes like you even see a kid in a cute way like they show you a bump they have and they're exaggerating how much it hurts or how bad it is there's a way they're trying to tell you like see me see my pain give me attention give me love and so we can just say oh you're just exaggerating the how big the bump is but really we see there's something deeper there so with your daughter i'd also would say um the thing she brings up is not that we ignore but we recognize could there be something deeper going on or things she's worried about or concerned about or she doesn't feel seen in some way so she is bringing up whatever it is that she's mentioning because what you described that's, that's an interesting um concept that she was enjoying herself but it almost was afraid that you see she's enjoying yourself because then she might think oh you don't think i'm that sad or you'll force me to go to school because you think I'm okay so I have to show you I'm not okay and so we want to be aware that we don't create an incentive for her to not be okay because then that will further uh, strengthen this type of whatever it is this dynamic where she goes to these places if you think of exaggerating or amplifying things she goes through to make you see what's going on so uh, that's good that you noticed that but that's telling us that we have to try to recognize or connect with her pain more directly so she might not feel like she has to either exaggerate or hide even her good feelings because that might take away from you seeing her pain right now uh, about the uh, about the institution that i took her for evaluation mm -hmm. uh, she was really 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 upset she started crying right away and she's like I didn't know you're gonna take me to intake. I don't want to go. Blah blah. And then so she looked it up, and she said that most patients have um, left a very bad review, and they said that they um, they drugged them to death, and they gave them too much medicine, and they their their uh, you know, they didn't treat them very nicely, this and that. So she does not want to go, but um, we need to do something for her. I don't want her to, you know, continue living uh, in her room, basically. She doesn't even come and sit with us to eat or anything. And so we, we don't want force of course or push mm -hmm. her to her limit since she's suicidal but at the same time uh, we are scared for her for living this way for yeah. the rest of her life yeah, yeah and I can understand both of those concerns and um, that second one that's what I was talking about before too so yeah, I can understand you're worried about that that if we say if someone says you know I get so uncomfortable outside 
we say, okay, you never have to go outside. Unfortunately, that can just strengthen their anxiety of outside. It doesn't necessarily help them. So it's finding that balance of we don't force them to do the things that make them very uncomfortable, but we also can't just uh, give in completely because then they they could lose their own strength. It's kind of like uh, someone says, oh, I get tired if I'm doing things. So we say you don't have to do anything. They're just going to get weaker over time. So it's a similar thing in this case. Now, you know, you said she's suicidal. Do you know if she's suicidal now? Has she mentioned that? And have you talked to her about it recently? No, we haven't talked to okay. her recently. So uh, yeah. that night. Okay. Now, this is one of those things, of course, suicide is uh, su- supremely uh, intense, important topic, significant, and scary also. Um, and many people avoid it. So now, you know, the way even you said it was like, we're making all these decisions knowing that there is like this ticking bomb somewhere in the room also that we have to be aware of not touching on, you know, like a minefield, like a mine, that if we step right. on that, it explodes, which I can understand. Uh, but I would almost want you to see, and you know, you have to be careful because if you haven't talked about it, you don't want to change the dynamic too much that can be overwhelming or could backfire, but that we don't want to make it where it's not talked about, you know? So if there are correct moments and times, and by correct, I don't mean like there's exactly a right one, but making sure there's some space to have a conversation, I would actually encourage you to talk about that her suicidality, even, you know, checking in on it. So not in some huge pressure way of like, you know, asking her with so much worry that it might even freak her out, but just bringing it up because it's almost like now you feel like there's just this threat there, even if it's not a threat, but this concern there, Um, but we don't know where it's at. You know, I wonder, is she still suicidal uh, or not? Um, how close, what is it like? And, you know, suicidality, it's a whole range. It's a whole spectrum. There's like this feeling of, oh, gosh, I just wish I didn't wake up tomorrow in a very passive way. And then there's active, like tomorrow at 8 a.m., I'm going to do this thing to, to take my life. And everywhere in between where people might be thinking about it or feeling certain ways or it comes in certain waves to them. Um, but it might be good to understand what she's going through there and and create dialogue about how she's doing uh, now you're saying, if you're saying she's not coming out of her room much in general, I, I could imagine there isn't a lot of communication. So we don't want to be the only conversation we have with her in a given day, because that, that might not feel right. But if there's some connection, are you saying her, uh, her father's painting with her, doing things, which is really great. I think that's wonderful. Trying to connect with her in different ways, not just about, let's say, talking about things or figuring out what to do. Um, it could be good to make this part of the conversation and to show her you're not afraid to talk about it or even the cutting. You know, you mentioned that. Uh, and one thing I'll also mention is that often when people hear cutting, because we also know that people can cut their wrists, let's say, or do things to, that are actually suicidal, we might think they're the same thing, but they're not. Um, people, most of the people who are cutting just to cut, they're not suicidal necessarily, or they're not doing it to take their own life. Um, it has a different purpose of trying to cope with some big feelings. Sometimes it can be related to past traumas and they cope in that way. It can be a way of feeling the pain if they're feeling numb, a feeling of release. Uh, when we do cut or experience certain things, our body releases endorphins and does different things. So cutting has, you know, I don't like saying function as in it's like good because I would rather people obviously not deal with things in that way at all. Um, but there are reasons why people do that kind of like a drug which again can be very harmful for us, but there's a reason why people might turn to a drug. And it doesn't necessarily mean someone is suicidal or is doing that to be suicidal. But nonetheless, I would hope you can have conversations with her about these things, even the cutting, um, 
that they shared she cuts her leg. Have you talked to her about that before? No, I I, I was actually dumbfounded and shocked mm-hmm. when I heard that because I never knew she did that. Yeah. Um, another thing I want to mention is that the therapist asked her, how did you want to commit suicide? What was your plan? And she said that, um, well, I was going to overdose on, probably she has, my mom has some drugs that I can overdose on, which we don't. We don't have any, uh, like, we have vitamins and, um, you know, the painkillers, but we don't have anything narcotic, or we don't have any specific medication that any of us take. We don't have a gun, we don't have alcohol, we don't have, we, we don't smoke, we, but, you know, there, still there is so much. Of course. I don't know. Yeah, now look, the, you know, when it comes to suicide, unfortunately, the easier the means and the access to those means, it does have an impact because often, uh, like many human actions, it's an impulse or something we feel in the moment that might make it more likely we do it than if we had to wait a little bit. Um, so it's good to think about those things. But I do really think this is so important to recognize that we want to be able to talk to her about what's going on. And I, I feel it in some of the things you've brought up. That's It's just a feeling so far of, are you sometimes afraid to approach these conversations about those topics, as many people are, because uh, they're so intense. Sometimes we're afraid, well, if I bring it up, am I reminding them or am I introducing the idea to them? Uh, what if I don't know what to say based on how she responds, which is understandable that it's not easy, uh, but you don't have to have the right answer. So there's lots of reasons why people do avoid these very, very heavy and intense topics. But unfortunately, it can kind of make them have more significance because, as I said, it's kind of like this minefield we just try to blindly avoid, uh, but knowing that we might bump into it and cause some huge problem that makes it scary to do anything. So I do want us, you know, we, I know we've been talking a little bit, but I want us to talk about this a bit more because we are at a commercial break and I don't want to leave it at this kind of note where we're opening something like this up. So after the break, I want to talk a bit about first that you could reflect on any conversation you've had on, on these two topics. Um, and then we'll talk a bit more, bit more about that. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. Sure. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back before the break. We're with the caller. Caller, are you still there? Hello. Hello? Hello? Oh, hi. There hi. you are. So, yeah, before the break, um, as I mentioned, I'm sure there's many heavy topics related to what you're dealing with with your daughter, but the, the cutting and the, the suicidal um, ideation or that she was saying she was suicidal, those are two pretty significant ones that I, I know people often avoid, and that's why I wanted us to talk about it. So tell me a bit about what, if any, conversation has has been surrounding those two topics. Um, I I just um, briefly talked to her once about, you know, um, I hope I hope you understand that your dad and I would never ever done or do anything to harm you. We want the best for you, um, and you need to talk to us. Uh, I feel you feel comfortable to talk to us um but she she has 
she does not want to talk to me at all. She has uh, very little to no respect for me because I have been um, I have been the one who disciplined her um, for most part um, because my husband had to travel for work a lot. Um, but now he has decided to, at any cost, he's going to stay and make sure that he is with us. So that's the only time I have talked to her. But uh, during the break, commercial break, my husband mentioned that he is going to talk to her and ask her how she feels now. Okay. I mean, yeah, you know, you touched on your relationship with her, it seems like. There, uh, and you know, I know you said you have another daughter, but essentially she was an only child in some ways, uh, as far as her childhood and, and especially now teenage years, because your other daughter's right. thirty and out of the house. It's a very different type of circumstance. Um, and it seems like you and your do- your younger daughter have had more of the conflict in the relationship or or in the home because you were the one, as you said, disciplining her, having that structured. So it seems like. I can feel from how you talk about certain things, some anger she has towards you. I mean, almost always is with teenagers, but there might be considerable anger towards you that she um, has, and that can also impact how you know you deal with these things and deal with, uh, talk about these things. So to have a conversation about anything, we need to have a good relationship, but especially a heavy topic, we really need to have a good relationship because it's, it, those are difficult conversations to have. So maybe your husband can... Uh, talk to her and, and, you know, see how she's doing. But it's something I'd want you to think about as well and to really think about less about her, let's say, school and academic even performance or what's happening, but really what's going on with her. Whether she is manipulating and making it up or whether she's really going through it, either way, she's going through a lot because if someone is even manipulating, if we think of it that way, there's something they are dealing with you know so if someone um threatens if they're saying they're suicidal but they're not something's going on that would make them say that or they're suicidal and that's obviously very concerning and i think it's kind of um held you hostage a little bit because now you're afraid to to say something maybe even i don't know if you're feeling some guilt or some sense of have i done something that's made her this way and that can make you go back and forth where you might feel guilt but then when you feel guilty and feel bad then you might get mad at your daughter and blame her for all of it and be like, it's her fault so you might have this back and forth you'll go through of trying to figure out whose fault it is that we got to where we are and of course we want to understand what happened happened but through blame we're not going to get to a better place we're just going to figure out who to punish rather than how to make things better um so I, I don't. Do you have that experience that you sometimes do blame yourself or you blame her for what's happening? I do. Um, yeah. I do not blame myself, okay. but I ask myself all the time: What did I do wrong? Where did I go wrong? Why this happened? You know. Um, but I obviously know that I to blame somebody is not gonna provide any solution or Mm -hmm. make anyone feel better Uh, we have to look forward and find out what is best thing we can do for her and how is the best what is the best way to help her hereafter yeah that's that that's true blame is not going to help us now of course going forward is the focus but somebody to understand how to go forward we do have to look back to understand what happened not to blame 
anyone, but to understand how we got here. And so to even understand how your relationship with her, it seems like it is, uh, has conflict or has intensity that makes it hard for you to be close. You're saying she has no respect for you, which is not okay. But yeah, not blaming her for it. We also don't want to blame you, but try to understand, well, how did we get here where you're saying there's a relationship with a lack of respect? Did she feel certain things from you? Did she feel either criticized or uh, whatever it might be, I, I can get the sense that in trying to help her so much or worrying so much, maybe you put pressure on her in certain ways to, to do certain things or to, to be a certain way. And so she's trying to fight off that pressure by pushing back on you. Um, and in a power dynamic, when you're the mom and have the power, often what will happen is, is the child will try to find ways where they might be able to get power. And some of these things might be those things, like whether it's a threat or saying something that's uh you know controversial it's going to shift the power because now you are a little bit afraid of what's going to happen right so we can see how you might have been trying to have that power and now she's trying to take it back from you and at the end of the day through power and force we're not going to get to a better place it's going to have to be some level of of collaboration and coming together and so another conversation parents often can have it's another delicate one is recognizing and acknowledging the ways we might have hurt our kids so you can try to see in your relationship with her not to blame yourself but acknowledging your side of things of you know maybe i did this or i could have um, approached this differently to show her you you see her side because i get the sense uh there's a lot of anger from her towards you and i'm guessing yes. you you might might feel that or recognize that as well yeah. So, you know, that there's a lot of things going on right now, you know, figuring out the school situation. There's an intensity of, of things that are going on, but there does seem to be a lot of space for you to help repair the relationship you have with her um, to make things better. Because often we're looking for what do I do at homeschool versus school in person versus medicine versus that. And those things are going to be important, but we want to make sure we don't lose sight of the most important thing, which is your relationship with her. Because then through that, you can actually help her much more right now. Even we're saying it's hard for you to, to communicate with her or to have these conversations because it seems like the, the relationship is not strong enough to, to allow for that. So I'd want you to also think about those things, not just what's the next thing which you have to think about but how do i make my relationship with her better just like it seems like your husband's trying to do things like paint with her do some activities with her uh, often when one parent and it usually is the mom becomes kind of like the manager of the kids they often only do those things it becomes all about managing their life and driving them to things and you know taking care of things uh, staying on top of things and there's a lack of let's say having fun or doing other things and sometimes that's also because the other partner is not doing enough to share the burden so it's not just on you it could be you needed more from your husband to, to allow these things to happen but uh, you know that that's my concern is the the relationship with, that you have with her makes it harder for you to to deal with some of these things and that'll take some time to build especially if she's so angry or, or being so as you're saying lacking respect it's not easy to get closer to someone when they are being that way or acting that way towards you right so um uh, that's a very important point thank you for mentioning sure. that that i need to work on my relationship with her um so right now we want to uh, we want to find out if um, the way we are you know we are dealing with her 
um, is is this going to help her or should we make some changes about going out maybe once in a while um, setting up play dates I mean like hangout time with her friends or or take her to under the care of the team that they mentioned in Texana or is it is it a good idea to take her to um, for a few months maybe take her somewhere um, like close to my family to change the dynamic uh, we have actually been exploring um, all the options and solutions uh, because we, we definitely don't want her to feel this way and be this yeah. way forever. And we recognize that staying home and not being around people has made her even worse. Yeah. Uh, so like on Sunday, we were going out with a family friend and my husband encouraged her to join us. And she was... She was not talking to anybody, and um, I could see that she was not comfortable. Mm-hmm. And she definitely made sure that we we saw that that she's not she's not enjoying, and she she didn't like it. Uh, so, but but what is the best way to help her out and? What yeah. should we do? Well, yeah, and I, as I mentioned, and I think you're noticing, uh, you know, if she doesn't do any of these things that she's saying she doesn't want to do, it doesn't necessarily help her long term. So it's hard to find that balance of not forcing her and then making her feel more mad. Or I, I was talking about power dynamics and things. You know, she won't like that. Um, but what I think is you know very important is to recognize it's not just like you have to figure out what to do. You're going to have to work with her about these things because. Um, I think what I'm sensing is in your relationship with her, she's felt this power dynamic. So even if I say, okay, take her to, you know, your parent, your family for a few months, if she feels like it's not her choice in the matter, I don't think that's going to be the right thing. I think it's going to be important to have her be part of this decision-making of talking to her. You know, when she said she was suicidal, I know you said something like, we told her, me and your dad don't want to hurt you or anything like that, which makes sense. But I would also want to say, we want to know what's hurting you. Like what's... If you're suicidal, that means you're really hurting. So we want to understand. Not that, you know, even that saying we don't want to hurt you makes it like we don't want to be the cause of your pain, which matters. But even more, you want to understand what is hurting her. You know, why is she feeling that way? Something's hurting her if she's saying that. So I would really want this decision, whatever it is, or these decisions of going forward to be made with her because... You know, it's going to probably backfire if it doesn't. And then it could also start to shift this dynamic where it's not about, you know, the way she might feel at least that you're making decisions for her and she has to then resist them or fight with them. But it's that she's part of that process and she'll approach it differently. So I'm glad to hear your focus is on her well being because, um, you know, she there's cutting, there's suicidal ideation, or you know that she told her therapist she's suicidal. Now that the way you know she did it, then about this topic, I can understand that it felt like was there something else behind it. But we have to at least take it seriously that she said those words. What exactly it meant, we don't know. Um, 
But we want to make sure she's okay first and foremost, and then academically and all those other things, things will be figured out. But I would want to talk to her that we, we care about you. And so, of course, we're concerned about you. You know, you mentioned being suicidal. And, and as I said, I would want that topic to be brought into the conversation more, that you talk to her about what happened. I know sometimes we're so scared we don't want to mention something like suicidal ideation or thinking or that word because what if it introduces it to her but we know that that's not how it works where someone doesn't know about or think about suicide and someone says the word and now they are so don't be afraid to have that conversation with her about those topics and i'm looking at the time and i wish i you know maybe approached this last segment a little differently because we have to wrap up but i would want you to have these conversations with her about these topics and with her figure out the next things to do it's going to be a long process you know this it's not something that if you just make this one change everything's going to fall into place it looks like we're dealing with a lot of stuff here so um i would want you to work with her with what's going to happen next i don't think the answer is going to be something that if you do this thing it's going to be right but i think not including her will be wrong regardless of what the next step is so if uh, uh, if if I uh, if we talk to her and she, I now, know let me I'll just say this if you talk to her it's not that you say whatever you say goes but it's a conversation and I'm sorry I have to cut you off because we have to go so it's a, so it's not that she says I want to I'm not I'm doing this and you say okay we have to do it. it's like well let's talk about it. what do you think so it's a back and forth now because of your dynamic with her she might push even harder but it's just something to be aware of is it needs to be a conversation if you make the decision for it to me that would likely backfire we do have to wrap up i'd be happy to talk to you another time uh, another show but um we'll have to leave it at that for today okay okay thank you very much thank you all right that brings us to the end thank you to amir here in the studio you've been listening in session with dr fire to be kind and take risks have a wonderful day 